So if you are feeling like I cannot be satisfied in this season or this time or this singleness that you've given me, you can admit that to God. I need the grace. I need the power. I need your power specific to this powerlessness because I can't find it in myself. And that is exactly the dependency that God is looking for so that he can come in and rescue you. And we have a great episode today. You know, we have Felicia Masonheimer in the house, and I am so thrilled because I have been wanting to get her on the show for a very long time. If you don't follow her, never heard of her, you guys got to check her out. She is so rich in biblical wisdom, and she hits us hard today, you guys, okay? Um, And we're talking about, can God really satisfy my heart? And I think, you know, at the out the gate when we ask that question JJ like a lot of people are like yeah of course he can but that's like the good christian answer you know like of course god can satisfy my heart it's but like, uh, <laughs> it's like in sunday school where they ask a question and you're just like jesus <laughs> <laughs> i love jesus <laughs> no i well the question is have you tangibly experienced the satisfaction that god brings to your heart so yeah. much so that you are satisfied. And Whether or not question. you're going to get married. Right. You know, like that's you, the biggest linchpin there. Right. And I, I think, um, I grew up in like a evangelical, right? Non-denominational background. Mm-hmm. And it's not quite as focused on experiencing the goodness of God. Yeah. Experiencing the love of God. And when you go to a more charismatic, right? Culture, <laughs> right? Or church. Yeah. It's it's all focused on experience. Yeah. And I'm not saying we prefer this one or this one, but I absolutely think there is an experience of God's goodness that satisfies us tangibly, not yeah. just from like a theoretical standpoint. Right. So we dive into that big time with Felicia today. And so can't wait to have that conversation before we fully dive in, make sure to check us out on YouTube, waving at y'all. Hey, Hey, to our YouTube fam who is already watching. If you're not subscribed on YouTube, what are you doing? We've been doing YouTube now for a bit. Like, why aren't you joining us on YouTube? Come on over, check us out, subscribe to our channel. That would be awesome. We come out with two new episodes a week. We got our Wednesday episodes and our Friday episodes. Uh, also, we have our Patreon fam. If you want to support us in a more intimate, meaningful way, join us on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash heart of dating. We have a monthly hangout for you guys. We have a monthly live Q&A bonus episode just for our Patreon fam. We have coaching now that we're offering through Patreon. If you want one-on-one coaching, so many cool things. Um, and lastly, today, I want to tell you about the free resource, okay, that we are going to share with you today because we have so many over on heartofdating.com. But today I just want to highlight one of our top ones, which is long distance dating, the ultimate guide to long distance dating, which spoiler, if you didn't know me and JJ did date long distance for a portion of our relationship. We're big fans of long distance dating. And if you are considering it, or if you are trying to do it right now, make sure you check out this free resource. You can go to heartofdating.com forward slash resource forward slash long distance, and you can download that for free. So babe, shall we get into the episode? Let's do it. Okay, guys, we have Felicia Masonheimer in the house. What's up, girl? <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> we, I'm truly excited to have you. I discovered you, I don't know, through a mutual friend years ago. I've been following your content, always learned something uh, just through both your podcast and even just your reels. They're so educational, girl. Like you are killing it. I'm like, I got to take notes just from this like 30 second reel right here. It's so good. Um, but for my people, if they haven't heard of you, will you quickly just introduce yourself to them? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'm glad you like the reels. It's fun to make them. <laughs> They're so um, good. Yes. I am Felicia Masonheimer, and I am the CEO of Every Woman a Theologian, mm-hmm. which is a ministry that exists to teach 
theology and foundational Christian beliefs to lay people. So a lot of times when we hear the word theology, it sounds intimidating. It sounds like something for a seminarian, but every (laughs) Christian is a theologian. We all have a theology. And so we need to understand what we believe, why we believe it, but we also need to learn how to communicate it graciously to other people in a way that is compelling and keeps Christ at the center. And so that's what I get to do with my team. Um, My husband actually works with me. He is our chief operating officer, and we live in Northern Michigan with our three little kiddos. Okay. So you guys also work together because JJ and I work together. How has that been for you? Just really quick off the cusp, <laughs> like working with a spouse. I want to know. That's a whole podcast episode in itself. But um, <laughs> yeah. he he came on with me in 2020. So okay. a year of great transition. Yes. And it definitely has been something that has been refining yeah. Um, because we are very different and he's an engineer like by degree and trade. And so this is, he didn't plan to go into full-time ministry, but it was where the Lord led and opened the doors. And so I would say that it has actually incredibly strengthened our marriage and brought us closer together. Um, but it was definitely something that was refining us and, and challenging us because we both worked from home together running the company, but we also co-homeschool our children. Um, And so it's a lot that we're handling together and you're with each other all the time. As you know, that can be its own challenge because there's no space apart. But yeah, it's also a huge blessing. So we're very, very grateful. Yeah. So you guys are co-workers, co-teachers, co-HR, <laughs> co-parents, <laughs> and whole thing. spouses. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> we well, are- no, I mean, uh, we got married and started working together right away and moved in together and all everything all at once. Uh, and it definitely is refining for Kate. She's, she's okay, really matured okay, and grown okay. and caught up, uh, you know, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's been, it's been great the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Literally our first point of action in that was we got a therapist specifically for our working relationship just to like really help us. Like it's a new, such so many new things, but we knew the Lord had called us to do Heart of Dating together. I started this ministry solo as a single over six years ago, but then, you know, JJ, uh, the Lord called him to it uh, while we were together. And so it was very clear, like it was from the Lord, but at the same time, we're like, okay, and there's some humanly flesh things that we need to work out here. So let's well, let's get some help. There's another commonality. Um, so I heard from a little bird that you uh, <laughs> physically maybe did not see your husband as, you know, uh, Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt, you know. <laughs> you got to pull the Scientologist it, Tom It wasn't, Cruise. you know, <laughs> maybe love at first sight. So Uh, Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Which is very similar to us. Somehow, you know, you guys both overlooked diamonds in the rough uh, initially, (laughs) and then you came back around. Um, But yeah, I would love to maybe hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. So it's actually both of us. My husband and I both were not initially attracted to to one another. And even in the first six weeks of dating, we had a lot of, not doubts necessarily, but just second guessing because the message in culture is so strong that you need to be highly attracted to the person you're dating in those first few months because there's this idea like, well, it's going to wear off. So you you have to have this high level of attraction because then how are you going to make it otherwise? And we did not have that. And so I think that that was a challenge for us at first because we second guessed our own intuition, or I should say the Holy Spirit's intuition within us during that season. But what we found as we continued dating through the advice of good friends, like my roommate who was, you know, with us through that whole uh, process was that attraction grows as love grows and love grows as you see someone's character. Now, That's not true for every single person, every single relationship, but it can be true. And it's often true for people who are willing to give a godly, wonderful person a chance. And so it's not like 
when we saw each other, we were utterly repulsed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like, I'm not saying go out and date someone that you're like, you're disgusting. Let's yeah. date. But I am saying that like Josh and I weren't drawn. We weren't each other's types right. at all. Yep. Like mm-hmm. we had, we had types and they hadn't worked. And then we, we were friends first. That was also a big thing. We had never dated somebody who we were actually like, friends with first. And so those were two new things for us. And yet the attraction had to grow with time. And we might get into this later in the episode, but we had a lot of challenges later in our marriage. And I don't believe it was connected to that attraction piece. I think it was connected to us not having yet dealt with our emotional trauma baggage, things the Lord had to heal in us. But our dedication to the covenant of marriage kept us together when the attraction came and went in marriage. And because that will happen, you know, so attraction comes and goes in marriage, but you can have it grow and grow stronger and stronger and stronger as you fight for the covenant and walk together forward. So that's our story. That's Well, what kept you going on those dates in week two, week three, week four, even when maybe that physical attraction wasn't catching up as much as mm-hmm. you hoped or expected? Common vision mm. and common values. And when I say common vision, common values, we weren't talking about what movies we liked and what music we liked. <laughs> like we, we did, we don't like the same music. We don't like the same movies. We don't same like, here. we don't. I know. We have, I have fine tastes in music and comedy <laughs> and humor. He's like, I'm so <laughs> superior. <laughs> um, we just don't. And we, and we still don't. We've been married 10 years and a few days and we still don't share those things. But what we learned is that you can, you can form common interests that, that you didn't have before together, but it's really hard to form common vision and it's really hard to form common values. Those are what kept us together, kept us coming back to that relationship and going, God is what we want to build our lives on. You want to build your life on God too? <laughs> you know, like, and that kept, that kept us coming back and talking about, you know, our vision for the future is was we wanted to raise a godly family. And I hadn't met a man who who said, I want to be a good husband and father one day. I had never met someone like that. And I thought, that's something really admirable. I will I will fight for that next to somebody. So um, we don't like the same music, but, you know, we're fighting the good fight. So that's something, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I mean... You- just without you knowing our full story, there's so many similarities in some of what you just said to what drew me to JJ um, and what kept us continuing forward when my physical attraction to him wasn't there off the gate. And just a quick side note, like I did a post about this um, a few months ago on Instagram that went viral and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I got so much hate actually from it because people were like, oh my gosh, how could you say you weren't physically attracted to your husband at first? And I was like, that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying I'm not physically attracted to him now, but I, he wasn't like, I didn't look at him and say, oh, that's my, my quote unquote physical type, or that's something I would normally go after. Um, But there were more important things that drew me to him. And through time, the physicality was absolutely there. Um, Some of that was me and being drawn to unhealthy things from my past quote unquote types, you know? And so anyway, I love that you shared that. So good. So we're talking today, you know, about the subject of can God really satisfy my heart? And it's a really hard subject, I think, for many of our singles. But Felicia, because you are a woman of theology and you just, ah, gosh, you're such a great teacher. And I love following along with everything you teach. Would you just start by sharing with us a little bit of that like biblical foundation of singleness? Let's just get in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we often talk about marriage as this picture of the gospel, which leaves a lot of singles, you know, like, well, I can't picture the gospel because I'm only half of something. Mm. That's kind of the way we present right, it exactly. theologically. And yet the Bible is extremely 
supportive and positive about mm-hmm. singleness. And we see people in scripture who were single and who were doing amazing things, not the least of which is Jesus himself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, there there Amen. you win. Uh right out of right out of the gate. But um Paul in Corinthians talks extensively about singleness. And a lot of times people take pieces of this passage and they parse it out and they they actually twist those verses to pressure people into getting married for sex or to say like you're concerned about you know god and then when you get married you can't think about god anymore because you're concerned about your husband and really what paul is saying here is that there are seasons right and there are callings we don't always know how long a season lasts you don't how long you know People use the concept of season with singleness, but we also don't know how long a married season will last. You know, people, people's spouses die. You know, there's, there's different seasons and different ways we picture and image the gospel in those seasons. And singleness is one way to picture the gospel and to walk out this beautiful dependence on God that leads to world impact. And you also have to depend on God in marriage. I'm going to draw parallels between these two, not because marriage is so much better than singleness, but because I think a lot of the things that are said about marriage can also be said about singleness. So Corinthians is the biggest section, I think, where where, where we see that God loves and honors singles, and he thinks that what they are doing is important. And that their ability to use their time to minister to others, um, to influence their world is, is powerful, even while it can also be painful. So those two things aren't separate. We talk, you know, people either say singleness is a gift or singleness is a trial, but it might feel like both at the same time. And, and that's okay. I think one thing because in ways we have in the church highlighted marriage so frequently. And then outside of that, we see culture, which is highlighted marriage or these fairy tale versions of finding a person so much. There is, you know, often this very instinctual desire for marriage, which is a beautiful thing, but it, it becomes this, I have to get it. I have to get it. And if I don't get it, I'm dissatisfied. Um, and, there is a human nature to just like, hey, I, I really desire to have a companion. And so I guess the question is like in all of this, especially when we do look at Corinthians, which I think is so fun because Paul also is single, right? And he's like talking to singles, but he's also talking marriage and he probably teaches like the most on marriage and he's a single person, which I laugh all the time about. I'm like, this is amazing. Look at this single guy teaching married people about marriage. Like, it's so cool. Anyway, um, how do we really start? I mean, what's the journey to start choosing Christ over just our human nature, (laughs) which I feel like is a loaded question, but I guess we'll start there. (laughs) Well, I think we have to first start with a few assumptions that we have about satisfaction in God, um, choosing Christ in the face of these desires. Mm. Our desire for companionship, marriage is not bad, mm-hmm. right? God instituted community in the form of marriage at the beginning, right. before the fall. So it's a good thing. He said it's not good for man to be alone, and that's it's not good for humanity to be alone. We need other people, right? But what we've done is we've taken that passage and we've we've said, well, That means that the only way I can get community is in marriage. And I need this person who likes everything I like and who identifies with everything I identify with and who will fill everything that I need. This is a general, not everyone, of course, but this is a general idea, something I believed as a single person. I need to find that one person who's going to fill this void for me. And what happens when you have that mentality and you get married is the mentality doesn't actually go away. And in a few years, you find out that that one person can't carry all that. They're not designed to. Now, when God said it's not good for man, humanity to be alone, 
he isn't just saying, here's marriage. He's saying it's not good for you to be without community, a variety of people and life stages to carry you. So what I think part, before we can even talk about God satisfying us, we have to back up and see why we're not satisfied. And it's because we're putting too much on the institution of marriage. And as somebody who walked through a very difficult marriage, my husband and I will both tell you, we should have been a statistic in years three, four, and five. We should be divorced now. We're not. Why not? We had to learn the hard way that the other person is not there to satisfy us. I did not get married for Josh to make me completely happy and to always get my water and you know treat me like a princess. He's a wonderful man and he does treat me like a queen, but... Our hardship in marriage mostly came from our expectation that the other person was there to make me happy. And when that didn't happen, I we began to question, why are we married? Why does this feel so hard? Why is this so lonely? Especially lonely because you think you're supposed to not be lonely because you're married. So all of that to say, before we can choose Christ over our human nature and be satisfied in God... We have to remember that people who are married have to be satisfied in God too. Well, you know, Tim Keller has a best quote, right? Marriage is to make you holy, not happy. But I'm curious, would you say before you got married and when you got married, you might have known that idea, like this is to make me holy, not happy. But in real life and how you lived, you were still putting that God-sized expectation of fulfillment and happiness on your spouse, like, how do you reconcile that? Like, you might have theologically mm-hmm. known that idea mm-hmm. of this is supposed to make me holy, but the way you were living it out was not at all. Even that. in how we're dating, what we're looking for, like right. how we mm-hmm. are seeing ourselves in our single lives. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. all of it, we may know this head knowledge, right? But then we're not walking it out as such. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I agree with Tim Keller on that. I also disagree with him because I think <laughs> your marriage is supposed to make you holy and happy. Yeah. You know, it's not like one or the other. So I do want people to know it sh- it should make you happy. Yeah. You will be attracted to your spouse. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy it's and I'm very attracted. It's not a business arrangement where it's right. like, okay, yeah, you're it's stuck just... with this person forever and make the best of it. <laughs> but it's right. making it's just... you holy. <laughs> yes, Exactly. And, and happiness is holy and holiness brings happiness. So it's a beautiful thing. Um, but yes, you can know something theologically and then you get, you get married or, or you're dating and it isn't coming through, right? It's not reaching your heart. And I think the, the reason it wasn't really permeating for us is because deep down we thought, well, a Christian marriage should result in X, Y, and Z. Like these are the benchmarks. He should be doing this. Like he should be, I don't know, initiating devotions or he should be paying attention to me in this way, or he should be doing this, or she should be more supportive of my dreams and my hobbies or et cetera, all those types of things. And this can happen in dating too, where he should, she should, and we have to step back and go, are these objectively things that need to be happening according to scripture? in this person? Or is this a preference? Is this really a sin issue that needs to be confronted? Or is this a preference? Don't become a doormat and refuse to confront, of course, but also just being realistic about what we're expecting of a fellow human. Are you willing to walk with them and grow with them? Or do you want a fully, you know, perfected human being while you still get to be imperfect? We can't be satisfied in God, in a season like that, if we have that mentality, because God is asking us, according to scripture, to bear with one another's burdens, to bear with one another's weaknesses. And that starts in dating and it continues in marriage. And so we can only do that for another person if we are actually satisfying ourselves in God first and operating by his objective standard. Okay. So that was, that kind of blew my mind. One way I've heard unconditional love described is radical acceptance of wherever that person is at as they are. Mm. Right. So bearing one another's burdens and weaknesses is saying you do have burdens and you do have weaknesses and I'm not here to change a single thing about them. Mm. Um, 
do you think you can only extend that kind of radical acceptance if you've known that radical acceptance by God, like the father and like that tangible experience? I think, yeah, I think so. Because I think only when you've experienced God's radical acceptance, does it come also with his discerning wisdom? Because what we run into in the dating world is you don't want to settle for somebody who doesn't share your values or love God. And I would never suggest someone do that. That's one end of one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, we have these unrealistic expectations that we ourselves don't even fulfill. And in the middle is God saying, I accept you. I love you as you are, but I also have given you my Holy Spirit so you can discern whether this person has a heart for me and can walk with you as you both grow. Mm-hmm. It's a tension. Mm, totally. I mean, totally. Um, now, what if I'm a single who's saying something along the lines of, I love God. I've been a Christian for 15 years and, you know, I just, I, I'm dating and I'm just not in a happy place. I feel really unsatisfied by my friendships, um, by the dating scene really (laughs) discouraged. And and really, if I, Mm -hmm. if I had to be honest, I just, people talk about being content and satisfied by God. And I don't, I just don't really feel like he is satisfying me in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to use the commonalities between marrieds and singles again, I think when singles struggle with this, that that loneliness, that disappointment, that mm-hmm. discouragement, they often feel that marrieds can't understand. Right. And and I hear this a lot. I have a lot of single readers in my audience, and you know, the, you don't understand you're married, and it comes from that again that misunderstanding that when you get married that person is satisfying you all the time. Right. That, yep. that they are fulfilling you. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you don't ever feel lonely or disappointed or discouraged. Right. Oh, but wow. when you are in a marriage with another flawed human, it is possible to actually feel equally as isolated, lonely, discouraged, and disappointed, partially because no one believes that you can feel that when you are married. And so when my husband and I were going through our hardest season, we felt all those emotions. Everything I felt as a single person, I also then felt as a married person. And so there's a lot more in common between singles and marrieds on this and why they should be able to have these conversations openly about God's satisfaction, because you will need it in marriage just as much as you need it when you're single. And so how do you move from that place of like, God... I'm so disappointed in my my current dating experience. God, I'm so disappointed in my spouse right now. God, I'm so discouraged at my options on this app. God, I'm <laughs> so discouraged with why my spouse won't do X, Y, and Z. I feel so lonely. I feel so isolated. In that moment is an opportunity to realize that no human can fill that void, was not meant to fill that void, and it turns us to dependency on God. And we don't always know what the ending will look like in that dependency. But we know that because he is the end and the beginning, he's the alpha, the omega, that he loves us and he cares for us. He will carry us in that emotion. And so we can come to him knowing that he will not leave us or forsake us and that he understands it fully having walked through it himself. And I heard you say this before too, that in essence, like God himself by his very nature cannot be unsatisfying, which is like, so when we're saying like, we may not even physically or verbally or privately in our prayer life say, God, you are not satisfying to me, but in our thought life or how we're acting and just all of these different things, we do believe that. And so, but I've heard you say that by his very nature, he cannot be unsatisfying. So what does that mean if we are being consistently dissatisfied by God? I think it points to a contractual relationship. So the idea that I come to God when I want or need something, but I don't actually cultivate a relationship any other time. And if you think about a dating relationship, if it's contractual, like, well, 
I'll show up for you if you give me X, Y, and Z. Then there's no intimacy there, right? It's it's obligation. You're not getting to know them and, and you're not enjoying being with them because you like them as a person. It's just, you give me this, I do this. And nobody wants to be in that kind of relationship. But we often treat God that way. We say, well, I'm back again because I'm lonely. But it's really, if we had walked with him every step of the way, every day, every hour in the intimacy of prayer and ongoing conversation with him in the word, in community, godly community, then we experience a deeper satisfaction in him, even while walking through really hard emotions. Mm. So it's not about touching base once in a while, right? but about an ongoing, constant attachment to God. What, where would you say you learned that for yourself? Well, the hard way, as one usually <laughs> does. <laughs> um, I definitely learned it in my dating years, which were different than now. There were dating websites, and I did use those, so it was before apps. Um, but, you know, in the dating days, and then in marriage, both. Having to learn, okay, God, you know, I went through some hard breakups. Um, God, how do I trust you? I thought this person cared about me. How do I trust you in this? Um, Coming out of that and into engagement and then marriage, you know, it's all rosy at first. And then suddenly, you know, you're refining one another and having to go, God, I don't feel seen here. I don't feel heard here. And I don't know how to communicate that to this person. Josh would say the same thing. He felt those same emotions. We've been very open about that together. But then seeing, I might not feel seen by my spouse right now. I might not feel satisfied with this marriage that I am now in. And it's really hard. And I'm questioning everything. But I know that you are the God who sees and that you hear every time I call on you. And that was where Josh and I were formed the most in those hard years. And God himself then brought us back together. But you had that same experience in singleness, right? That was not the first yes. time. So those break, would you say it was specifically breakups and singleness ended up being <laughs> the greatest gift, right? To experiencing intimacy with God in a way that you never had before? Breakups and... And not meeting people, I think the the waiting game or trying and it not working, you know, so you go out and you're like, well, that was awful. (laughs) Um, And coming home and being like, oh, do I give them another chance? Do I not? Is this my only shot? You know, all of those thoughts and emotions were, how do I, how do I walk with you in this? Um being ghosted. It happened back then. It just didn't happen on phones as much, you know, <laughs> it's like ghosted in real life, which oh, really stinks. Oh, even no. worse. <laughs> oh man, that was nasty. And so things like that, that I think back on and I go, oh my goodness. Or even the embarrassment of handling relationships really badly. Yeah. I handled multiple relationships very badly. Um, and I look back in embarrassment on those. And I think God in that moment, showed me, yeah, you did mess this up. That's It's a learning experience for you, a, hum, a humility experience for you. And all of that was actually shaping and forming me for what Josh and I would go through later on um, and really connecting those dots about find yourself in God first, in Christ first. And that is a habit that will not leave you. Yeah, I think... It's something I'm learning even now in the stages of marriage that we're in because I started exercising these things in my later years of singleness, wished I had cultivated them even earlier. And now I'm like, wow, like the, I, I realize even more importantly why it's so it was so necessary and would have been more ideal if I had cultivated this even more strongly in my singleness because now I need it even more than when, because I got to a place where I'm like, okay, disappointment is expected in dating. Apps are going to be disappointing, all these things, you know? Um, but I think there's something about, I had also done so much consuming of information, reading all these things where I knew a lot about God, but I wasn't necessarily I wouldn't say I was at a point where I really knew him deeply, like, and truly. And 
like I may have said he satisfies me, but it was still maybe not to the full brim of a bucket that of what kind of conversation we're talking about today. And I feel like so many of our singles are later in life single. And um, they're like, hey, I know a lot about the Lord at this point. I've been single. I've been with the Lord for many, many years, but they're still like not maybe having a gap of I'm having a hard time walking with him, knowing him deeply in my daily life. Like, what would you suggest for people who are like, just feeling like a stagnancy in their relationship with the Lord in that way? Well, at first I want to say, I think that the experience of being single longer than maybe you or I were is very specific. It's very, you know, it's not something that I can identify with. And so that means it poses challenges that I can't speak to, won't speak to. But what scripture does tell us is that there are certain principles about God and about the walk of faith that are universal to all Christians. And one of those things is that God has made himself available for every single trial, every test, every struggle, every pain. And so if it's feeling stagnant, um, it can be a lot of things. It couldn't be that, you know, you've walked with God for 15 years and you still haven't met anybody. And, and, and sometimes it's okay to sit with that and say, I am disappointed with how this turned out. I'm mourning this. This is, this is hard. And God doesn't tell us, you know, you can't lament that. In fact, I think he encourages the Psalms encourage us to lament the things that break our hearts. And he also has promised to supply all our needs with the riches of Christ Jesus. And even Paul said, you know, he said, I asked God to take away this thorn in my flesh three times. And God said, no. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so grace, I love this definition that grace is giving power to the powerless. So in an area of powerlessness, grace is God's power. So if you are feeling like I cannot be satisfied in this season or this time or this singleness that you've given me, you can admit that to God and say, I need the grace to make it. I need, I need the grace. I need the power. I need your power specific to this powerlessness because I can't find it in myself. And that is exactly the dependency that God is looking for so that he can come in and rescue you. What a great definition Mm. of grace. That's from Cloud and Townsend. I can't take credit. Uh, <laughs> I would love Dr. Cloud. <laughs> what, a, what a wonderful definition. Um, mm. I think, you know, in marriage, in my personal life, in singleness, the areas where God was most effective and faithful to show up were the ones where I was quickest to admit I cannot show up here on my own mm. and I am powerless in this situation. Mm-hmm. And I would say marriage has been that journey of, Hey, the more I can admit, I'm not good at something. <laughs> and the more I can just, you know, it's almost like, um, what's that? Uh, the karate kid. Uh, it's like the more I can put on Mr. my blind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The more I can almost blindfold myself and just say, Hey God, like I am so helpless here. The more that God is like, amen, like I can, now I can really sustain you. Mm. Now those fruits of the spirit that you were really seeking and hoping for, right, can come to fruition Mm. because you are getting out of the way, right? I'm like praying for this godly patience, godly kindness, (laughs) godly peace, right? And I was trying to manufacture it on my own, you know, and it's like, man, no, the more I'm just like, I put myself in such a vulnerable position where it's impossible for me to show up on my own and, mm. and fix this or do this. I, I really do sense God sustaining me in that grace. Um, so I love the fact that you say this, <laughs> this singleness, this time is so unbearable. God, I, I really don't know if I can move forward. Mm. Like I am needy right now. Yeah. I, I really, really need you because I've done it on my own now for 14 years. And I don't, I just don't know if I can go into year 15 on my own accord anymore. I want to quickly talk to you about the tendency for some singles to say, fine, God, you know what? I'm going to be just so satisfied in you that I'm going to completely ignore my desire for a companion. And we have a good friend and we brought up her up a few times, Tara Lee Cobble. You may have heard of her, but she runs the Bible recap and she brought this up on an episode months ago where, you know, basically she was like, 
just done with single. I'm done with dating. I'm done. And it was, it was great in a sense because she started the Bible recap in this time where she gave up dating and all this, these things. But as the years went on uh, or as time went on and her mentor confronted her and, and said, you know, well, TLC, like, I don't think you're actually being truthful with the desire you do have. I think it's been so tough that you're saying, I don't even want to look at that desire anymore because I'm just gonna make it all about you, God. (laughs) But the truth is you have, you still have that desire. So let's talk about that just for a second for the person who's like, maybe tempted to be like, okay, forget dating, forget all this. God, it's only you. I'm not even going to look at another man or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to kiss dating goodbye. Thank you. Um, you know, like, I, I'm not sure that's necessarily the answer here either. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, we're spiritually bypassing our own desires right. at that point. Mm-hmm. We aren't being honest. And I think we do that with all sorts of desires. It can be, in right. this case, it's singleness, but you know, other people, it can be having a baby. Mm-hmm. It could be getting a new job. You know, we we do this when we're so hurt and disappointed that we can't even look at it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you said. And something that I always picture, if you picture God looking at you as you do this, as you you take that desire, you stuff it in this bottle, you stick it on a shelf and you say, I didn't want it anyway. I never wanted it. And, and it's, I don't need it anymore. And there's just so much compassion, I think, in his face when he looks at someone who's doing that because you know that he knows the truth. You can't fool him. You can say you're putting the desire away for him, but he didn't ask you to do that. You know, he's the one who's saying, I didn't ask you to, to say you didn't want it. I didn't ask you to lie to yourself or to me about this. I just wanted you to trust me with it. And understanding that he has compassion on that and that he's asking to be part of it. He's not asking you to sacrifice it and give it up necessarily. Maybe sometimes he does. But for a lot of people, I think that he's just asking you to trust him with it and to walk with him in the process, involve him in it. So you're saying God's not asking you to suppress your desires. <laughs> he's just right. asking you to trust him with them. Yeah, to walk, to to consistently, this is what it means to walk by the Spirit. It's You're walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, remain attached to the vine. It means you're not just bringing it up when you're desperate or when you're afraid, but that it's a, it's a constant relationship with Him. You can always bring that desire to Him. He doesn't get sick of it. And... He wants to be a part of that with you, and he's not asking you to ignore it to be more spiritual. Mm. If that makes sense. And he's not like, hey, in order to only be satisfied with me, it means you can't desire anything else. He's like, right. It's mm-hmm. more about just seeing, like, you being fully satisfied in him while still admitting I have these other desires as well. Well, so is the, right. is the opposite true then? Um, I can't be satisfied in God until I'm honest with God about my desires and feelings. I I think there might be some truth to that, you know, because he already knows. So there's going to be a limit on your intimacy with God if you think you are hiding something from him. So you're withholding something from him. And until that withholding is done and you have said, God, I am desperate for you. I can't do this on my own. There will always be a wall in your spiritual intimacy with him. Yeah. And as long as there's a wall, there's there's not going to be that satisfaction. Well, I I think that's like a relational law. Like there's there's laws of nature, right? If I drop this law of gravity, it's going to fall. I think there's relational laws, right? That we all abide in. And one thing I would say has been law, whether it's human relationship amongst us or relational with God is if you can't be honest right, then intimacy and relationship plateaus. Mm. Uh, Like you cannot have real authentic intimacy and relationship unless you are honest with one another. Um, And I, and I do genuinely feel the same sense with God, but, you know, uh, speaking about human relationship and companionship, I think that word might be one of my favorite words to to describe, right? Spiritual 
formation and relationship, a companionship, mm. right? Because that's one of the last words you might think of to describe your relationship with God, companionship. Now, would you say, um, not just theologically speaking, but experientially, like in day-to-day life, as a single or as a married, as a divorcee, regardless of relationship status, how does God begin to satisfy that innate desire for companionship? I remember as a single person feeling frustrated because I thought like, this is all great and fine, but like God doesn't have a physicality to him. Yes. So like, I can't like, what can't the heck him. does that My mean? My love language is was, physical touch. What? <laughs> I can't right, touch him. Like, yeah. This is really frustrating. But what I have found is that going back to the honesty piece is that God uses a lot of different things and people to minister to us and to minister to those desires. And this is, again, this could be a whole other topic, but I think we have sexualized physical touch, things like physical touch to the point that we don't realize that one of the ways God fulfills that in in actually any season of life is he fulfills that through godly community. So safe, healthy, you know, support from your community, including physical affection, is one of the ways God ministers to us and satisfies us. So God works through the church. He works through human beings as a way to give us that companionship, as well as ministering to us spiritually through prayer and through the word of God through worship music, all of those other things. But I think we tend to go, oh, God only, he's a spiritual being, so I can only feel things spiritually. And that again leads to that feeling like, well, I can't be satisfied in God because there's no like physical element to this. The physical element, the holy physical element, married or single, is your godly community. I have wonderful godly friends, male and female, who we have wonderful relationships. I hug them. That was a huge healing thing for me. I, I'm not a hugger. I have a lot of stuff there emotionally. Um, it was healed by the church. And I think just allowing ourselves to see like God wants to minister to us and satisfy us and be our companion in all of these ways, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And he will carry us in that season, whether it's a hard marriage season or your single, your single season, um, in a variety of ways. Yeah. I love that you're saying, and just the emphasis on community, because, um, I think it, I mean, the, the big, big, big thing here that you've already hit on is that that doesn't change even in marriage. Like if in marriage, then you're just looking to your spouse for the intellectual, spiritual, emotional, physical buckets to all be filled just by him or her. Um, <laughs> they're not going to be able to by any means. And, and like, it is so important. I get a different kind of sense of comfort and emotional love and care from some of my best girlfriends than I will from JJ, you know, and that's okay because he's just the way he is. And I can't look to him for those things that a, I should be looking for from God, but also that maybe a girlfriend or a really close friend is the person that I really need comfort from in that moment. Um, and I think that it just doesn't stop when you enter into marriage, which is why it also is so sad when people get married and then it's just the two of them and they submarine and there's no community there. Right. And right. so, but I think it's why I'm so thankful for in, in hindsight, the kinds of friendships that I started cultivating in singleness that still are like the bedrock right now of so much that even when we're dealing with stuff, Hey, I'm going to my, the close community that I have and leaning on them. And we have individual, like my individual friendships and then our joint community. So powerful. Well, you know, what's crazy is, um, my mind was blowing, you know, I know Sabbath is like on and off, like a hot thing to do, you know, but you know, Sabbath is so funny. Um, this blew my mind. Uh, Sabbath is communal. It's not this hyper individualistic westernized version of your day of rest where, hey, Kate, you go do your thing at Disney and connect with the inner child and God. I'm going to go golf like those both sound great, but that's not Sabbath, right? Sabbath is communal, meaning we participate in it with other people. And I'm like, man, 
What's crazy is marriage is also just as communal as singleness. And there should be relatively no drop off in the way that you do community from singleness to marriage. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's so important. And I do wonder if we taught a more thorough theology on this um, in, in that transition from singleness to marriage, like this one person cannot be your ultimate satisfaction if we would see less of a drop-off because, and maybe healthier marriages and, and fewer divorces among Christians, if there was more transparency and community transitioning from singleness into marriage, because they're, al- they're lonely, they're isolated, And those are emotions that you're not supposed to feel when you're married because you're told that when you're single. Mm -hmm. And I think just reframing that and saying, no, you can't do singleness alone and you can't do marriage alone. You need God first. You need him as your foundation. He will satisfy you, but he sometimes satisfies you through godly people around you of all ages and stages who are there to minister to you the love of God when you most need it. Amen. Amen. Gosh, Felicia, this has been so wonderful. I'm just so grateful for you and this conversation. And it's just like, I love conversations where I can just sit in and be like, yeah, man, I'm even more encouraged, even in my marriage, just from this conversation. And so just thank you so much for being here with us on Heart of Dating today. And if our people want to connect with you, which you guys all should, uh, where are all the places they can like tune in to Every Woman Theologian, Verity Podcast, all the things? <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned one, Verity Podcast. <laughs> We're in the middle of a church history series right now. And then on Instagram, it's my name, Felicia Masonheimer, and then also Every Woman a Theologian. A Theologian. Which is our okay. Yes. A Theologian. Yes. yes. Every Woman a Theologian um, on Instagram, or you can follow me. I have my own account as well. Amazing. So awesome. Thank you so much. Um, personally, I, I think you just did the most wonderful job of being able to compare marriage to singleness uh, in such a cool way that doesn't assume to know right? Everything about singleness and what it's Mm. like to wait 25 years, Mm -hmm. right? And so I just thank you so much for the gift of humility and and kindness that you gave uh, with with just amazing wisdom. Um, That was really, really awesome. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for having me and keep up the awesome work. (laughs) Absolutely. The Heart of Dating podcast is created by Kate and JJ Tomlin. Shout out to our epic audio and video editor, Scott Caro. We have an amazing Heart of Dating team who helps bring the show to you each week. I want to shout out Kelsey Napier, our Heart of Dating digital marketing coordinator, and Elena Gibson, our brand and community manager. We couldn't do it without them. Now, if you guys have never ranked us or reviewed us on iTunes or Spotify, would you consider doing that? It would mean so much because our podcast can get more discovered and more people can learn how to better date as Christians. Don't we all want that? We launch our podcast each and every week on Wednesdays. So we will see you next week.